Praise God. Let's take our seats and open our Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verse 2. Romans chapter 2, chapter 12, sorry, chapter 12, verse 2. And I will read it from the New Living Translation version. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let us also turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Read verses 21 to 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 onwards. And again, I will read it from the New Living Translation. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Let's take a moment and talk to God. Father, I just commit this time into your hands, Lord Father. Commit your words that you're going to give us, Lord, that it will be a hammer to us, Lord. That where there is change that needs to be made, you will hammer it into us, Lord. Father God, we have just heard your word is all-powerful. And Father God, we just pray that each one of us here will not put up walls of defense to defend the indefensible. But Father, we will learn from what you teach us. Amen. Father, I commit every one of us into your hands and commit this time into your hands. Minister unto us. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, how many of you have heard of a person named Alfred Nobel? One, two, a couple of you. Maybe about 20% of the church has heard of a man called Alfred Nobel. The rest 80% is a very holy church, does not know anything about the world. Anyway, you see, today, Alfred Nobel is known by the legacy he has left behind. And that is the various prizes that are offered every year, be it in chemistry, be it in literature, in medicine, in economics, in peace. And the word Nobel is associated with these prizes. So everybody remembers Alfred Nobel because of these uh, highly cherished prizes. In, 19, sorry, in 1895, he wrote in his will a year before he died, 
that his abundantly large fortune was to be used to perpetuate his memory in the form of various Nobel Prizes, the most famous of which, as most of you know, is the Prize for Peace. But do you know that it was actually a crisis which Alfred Nobel faced that Alfred Nobel made up his mind that he needs to make a change. You see, in 1888, a couple of years before he established or he wrote out his will, there was an accidental obituary in the newspaper. His brother had died, but the obituary had mentioned Alfred Nobel's name. And in that obituary, he was described as a merchant of death. Alfred Nobel was described as the merchant of death. You see, he was called the, the merchant of death simply because his vast wealth was obtained because he created, he was a, he was a chemist basically, he created and marketed three highly explosive products. One is dynamite. And dynamite, as we all know, is used in war. It's used to kill. Country after country has used dynamite. Other than the fact that it's used to break down mountains, its main purpose was in war. And so he was known as the merchant of death. He also had other creations, or discoveries, I should put it, of a substance called gelginite or gelginite and ballastite, all of which are explosives. And all his money was made out of creating these or discovering these highly explosive substances. His company was also responsible for selling cannons and large guns throughout the world. And Indians would be interested to know this. The name of his company was Beaufort's. I mean, you know the history there. Now, when Alfred Nobel saw this accidental obituary, he went through an identity crisis. Was this how he was going to be remembered the rest of his life? After death, is this what people are going to talk about him? Merchant of death? That was a crisis situation for him. And so what he decided, he decided that he was going to divert a huge amount of funds to creating prizes for discoveries in chemistry and new uh, policies in economics and for somebody who would perpetuate the idea of peace for new discoveries in medicine. And so now you have all of these Nobel Prizes which are given out once a year. Today, everybody remembers Alfred Nobel because of the Nobel Prizes. About six weeks back, I started on a topic called Crisis Begets Change. That was part one. And I did mention that I shall take up a part two. And so today, I shall continue on the topic. The title still continues to be Crisis 
begets change, and this is part two. Now, how many of you have never faced a crisis in your life? Is there anyone here who has never faced a crisis? So all of us have faced one crisis or the other. Maybe someone is going through a crisis right now. I don't know. Maybe someone right here is having a, going through a crisis, one kind of a crisis or the other, right now. Now, facing crisis is not a new concept at all. It's nothing new. It's not unique to you and me. We are not the first people to face a crisis. If you read the Old Testament, the, the history of Israel is all about lurching from one crisis to another crisis. Whichever king they were under, it was always one crisis or the other crisis. They always seemed to be in trouble with this king and with that king. But the real issue is not the crisis or how it attempts to derail our lives. The real issue is how you and I respond to that crisis. Crisis will always be there. The choice of how you are going to respond is with you and with me. Alfred Nobel responded to his crisis by changing the focus of his wealth. How do you respond when you are hit by a crisis? It doesn't matter as to the nature of the crisis. It might be an identity crisis. It might be a relationship crisis. It might be a job crisis. It might be a financial crisis. It might be a health crisis. It might be an assumed crisis most of the time. It doesn't really matter what is the nature of that crisis. A crisis is a crisis is a crisis. Crisis requires change. If you don't change, that crisis is still going to hit you the same way it's always hit you. You've got to change. And that's why we have crisis begets change. Last month, we looked at three principles to consider when you are faced with a crisis. And I will just recap those three principles. Number one, godly wisdom is the solution to all problems. Godly wisdom is the solution to all problems. Number two, let your mind envision a successful future. Let your mind envision a successful future. And number three, the secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. The secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. Now, I'm not going to elaborate on these three points. But today we are going to move on to some other principles that we can apply when we are faced with a crisis situation. Number one, reach for your solution yourself. Reach for your solution yourself. Turn with me to the second book of Kings, chapter 6. And I shall read from the New King James Version, verses 1 to 7. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And 
The principle we are looking at is reach for your solution yourself. Verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. That's what the man of God did. But the crux is in the next verse. Therefore, and, uh, and he made the iron float. Okay, verse 7. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. There is only so much that somebody else can do for you. They cannot solve your problem. It doesn't matter who it is. There is only so much that somebody else can do for you. You've got to reach out and you've got to pick up your miracle. If you sit waiting for it to come to your doorstep, it will come just two steps beyond the doorstep. You will still have to go and pick it up. That is principle number one. If you want change in a crisis, look for your miracle. Go after it. Look for the solution. Go after it. Reach out for it. And you'll get the answer. God is not going to bring the answer and thrust it down your throat. That's never God's way. He will never thrust it down your throat. But you have your part to play in it. You see, the woodcutter has to reach for his solution himself. It was not given to him on a platter, and it will not be given to us on a platter. When God gives you the answer to your problem, how do you and I respond? Do we still wait and say, no, if it is God, I want him to deliver, I want him to deliver it to me on my sofa? Then I know it is God. Read your Bible. The, the principles are from the Bible. Reach for your miracle. Reach for your answer, yourself. So if God says move, are you prepared to move? If God says change jobs, are you prepared to change jobs? Reach out. There is a better job that's coming your way. There is a better place that is coming your way. It's time we got up and did what the Lord wants us to do. Rather than sit where we are and assume that what I have now is the best. Yes, till you lost the job, this job was the best because God gave it to you. But the minute you lose the job, understand God has a better job for you. All you need to do is reach out.
Number two, replace your plans with God's plans. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 to 22. Genesis 17, 15 to 22. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall, come, shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant... And you heard the word covenant just 20 minutes back. The covenant is the word of God. It's a hammer. And my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Has God given you a promise? Hang on to it. Hang on to it. But let God accomplish it in His time. You see, the biggest problem we face today is we are an instant generation. Everything needs an answer yesterday. Somebody writes a WhatsApp message for you. I had dosa for breakfast. They want an answer immediately. I had Italy for breakfast. Is that necessary? Let God accomplish His plans in His time. If He's given you a promise, just hang on to that promise. That is the Word of God. If God said he is going to bless you, he is not a liar. God cannot lie. If he said that he is going to bless you, you can hold him to his words. But the timing is not your choice. When he's going to bless you, how he's going to bless you is entirely up to God. So if you have got a promise, hang on to it. Abraham's attempt at assistance did not help at all. In fact, if you go back on the story, you will realize that Ishmael was not a plan, was not in the plan at all. But Abraham's assistance to God 
who created him and created every other person before Abraham from nothing. Yet Abraham's assistance or attempted assistance to God has created a mess which we are still reeling under today. So don't mess up God's plans. But if God has a plan for you, whether you attempt to mess it up or not, God's plan will take place. That's it. God's plan will take place. That is not going to change. You know the story of Jonah. God's plan was for Jonah to get to Nineveh. Jonah had other plans. Maybe it was delayed by three days, but Jonah got to Nineveh. If God has given you a promise, he is bound to keep that promise. He's not going to change. But we have got to understand that it's not our time. We don't need to think like the world. Romans 12, verse 2, the, word, the verse we read in the beginning. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What is the crisis you are facing today? Stop thinking that you are bright enough to find a solution to it. The simple fact of the matter, which we need to understand at some point or the other, is neither you nor I am bright people at all. We aren't. We aren't bright people. If you actually take the ratio of our brain to body weight, and compare it with an ant. The ant has a proportional bigger brain than you and me. So in God's plan of even making us in his own image, he didn't give us a brain that makes us bright. He gave us a brain that must learn to depend on him. Let's apply that. Let's learn to depend on him rather than trying to solve our own problems. Okay? Replace your plans with God's plans. Just turn to God. Humble yourself. Surrender the situation to him. Let God give us the solution. And once he gives you the solution, whether you like it or not, obey it. And sometimes he doesn't give you the full solution. If he had told Moses that I want you to go there, you're going to rally uh, a million Egypt Israelites, bring them, cross the Red Sea, you'll be faced with uh, uh, re revolt and rebellion, you'll have to feed them for the next 40 years, had he given the full blueprint to Moses, Moses would, have, Moses would have dug the deepest pit and buried himself there. 
So God doesn't have to give you and me the full blueprint of the future. He just tells us one step. And then he takes us next step. And then the next step. And then you find that you're getting to go where God intends you to be. So all you need to do is let God's plans work in your life. Forget your plans. Number three, release to receive. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. Release to receive. 1 Kings 17, 8 to 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, and we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. If the widow had not released what was in her possession, she and her son would have had their last supper. That was a plan. That's what she says. Let me eat, let my son eat, and then we're dying. Okay? Now, usually you don't eat, you have a chance of dying. Okay, but here she says, we are going, both going to eat, and that's the end of the story, we are going to die. Okay? So had she not released what was in her hands, she and her son would have had their last supper and they would have died. But when she released what she had, she and her son lived for many days. That's what it says there. They ate for many days. Note that the flour and the oil belonged to the widow, and it was perfectly within her rights to refuse Elijah. It was not his, it was hers. She owned it, the flour and the oil. And she 
was perfectly justified in saying, no, I'm not going to do it. Look for food somewhere else. That's okay. She didn't do that one. Her crisis was so huge that for her, death was the only answer. But when she released what was in her hands, she received the answer to her crisis. Release to receive. Feeding the 5,000, Jesus demonstrated the same thing. There was one boy with fish and bread, a couple of loaves, a few pieces of fish. But when he released it into the hands of Jesus, that same meal for one person became the meal for 5,000 plus people. The Bible says 5,000 men. There were women and children also. So you can easily estimate that you're talking about a 10,000 plus crowd. What was in his hands when he released it into Jesus Christ's hands? It became the meal for 5,000 plus people. What is in your hands? Don't hold on to it as if that is your only possession. Sometimes the Lord asks you to release that which is dear in your hands. And you're holding on to it, clutching on to it, saying, God, ask me for anything but not this. I don't know what it is. It might be that last real in your wallet. And you are saying, that's the only thing I have. God says, give it to me. Release it. Because as long as you hold that one real or something in your hand, you have got a closed fist. And if you've got a closed fist, you can't receive anything. Simple. You need an open fist to receive. You go to somebody's house and they want to give you something, you don't hold your hand like this and receive it. They give you a plate with chapati, you don't hold your hand like this. I mean, the, as your host is going to think that you're a weird guy. You open your fist and you receive the plate. So the principle is very simple. If you want to get out of your crisis and God is telling you to release something that you have, release it. Because what God is going to fill your hand with is much greater than what you originally possessed. Okay, because what's in God's hand is immeasurable. He has the whole world in his hands. We sing that song, don't we? He has the whole world in his hands. And what do I have? One bottle of water. And I am not prepared to release this, but he's prepared to release the whole world into my hands. And that's the same thing to you. Many years back, I heard a testimony from a pastor in, in Bangalore. Very early days in his ministry. And uh, he had a small car. We had a small car in India called the Maruti 800. For those of you who don't know what a Maruti is, 
you can actually put it on top of your head and walk upstairs. <laughs> okay. That's a Maruti 800. He has that car. And suddenly, God told him, your assistant pastor needs a car, give you a car. That's not God, that's the devil. No, give it. Then how am I supposed to go for ministry? I have outreach, I have in touch, I have so many things to do. How am I supposed to go? Give the car. How am I supposed to take my children to school? Give the car. You see, God doesn't always answer the question that you ask. Because you haven't obeyed him. He has given you an instruction. God is like a broken record. You know, in the past we had these records, and if they're cracked, then that uh, playing needle will get stuck and you'll get the same line again and again and again and again. Okay? Give the card. No, uh, give the card. That's all. So after a few days of battling this thought with a very reluctant heart, this pastor handed over the keys and the book, the RC book, to his assistant pastor, who was quite surprised but quite happy. And so he got into the car, drove it off. And this pastor was, he said the whole night he was tossing and turning, did I do the right thing? Okay. Next day, the owner of the biggest car company in Bangalore knocks on his door and says, are you so-and-so? That man is a Hindu. Okay. Are you so-and-so? He said, yes, I am. I don't know who you are. I don't know why I'm doing this. But I cannot rest unless I give you, give you this key. Release what you have, and God will fill with what he has. Okay, so that's the principle. Release to receive. Number four, delayed blessings are not denied blessings. Delayed blessings are not denied blessings. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 and verses 7 to 10. Exodus chapter 3, 7 to 10. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. He's talking to Moses. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, 
and I will send you to Pharaoh, and you may bring out my people, the children of Israel, from Egypt. The people of Israel were under bondage. They had been crying to the Lord for quite some time. But God did not respond to them at the first cry. God allowed them to stew in their misery for some time. So there's nothing saying that God has to respond to your first call. But at the right time, he brought them out. You see, it's not that he had not looked at their oppression. It was not that he didn't see what they were going through. But he knew, this is good. It will build up their muscle. They will learn how to make bricks without straw. Because when they go to some other place, they have to make bricks. Maybe there's no straw. Okay, let them learn the technology in Egypt. Today there are some builders here. Let me ask you, can you build, can you make a brick without straw? Yes or no? No, you need, you need the raw material to make a brick. But my answer to you simply is this, maybe the Egyptians then had the technology which the Israelites learnt. God wanted them there for a purpose. God wanted them in Egypt for a period of time. The oppression was there. He didn't pull them out immediately. Today, your crisis may be that you are oppressed by somebody else and you have been crying to the Lord. He knows. He has heard your cry. He sees your situation. But there is something that he wants you to learn from that environment. And at the appointed time, he's going to pull you out. It's at the appointed time, always. Jesus came at the appointed time. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, In the fullness of time, God sent his son. The timing is God's choice. But just because it does not come to our timetable does not mean that it is a denied blessing. It is a delayed blessing according to our thinking. But it is right time for God. So don't ever think that a denied blessing or your prayer not being answered is because God has denied it, not at all. It is just being delayed. We need to think about that. Don't think the way the world thinks. They want answers immediately. They want solutions immediately. I want my increment immediately. I want my promotion immediately. God says, wait. Your immediately doesn't have to be God's immediately. So don't try to outthink God because if God has promised you something, a blessing, 
He will release it in the fullness of time for you. He is not going to deny that which he has already promised you. Number five, and I like this. Selfies don't exist for God's people. I know you don't like that. <laughs> Selfies don't exist for God's people. Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. And let's start reading from verse 10 to the first part of verse 12. Verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Do we need to be reminded of Job's mountain of crisis? It was huge. It was huge. Yet, because of his faithfulness, his implicit trust in, in God, his mountains of crisis were removed and his blessings were doubled. But the trigger, you see, the trigger for his return to the good times was when he prayed for his friends. Those people who were coming and telling him bad things, those people who were coming and telling him or accusing him of his own lifestyle, of things that he did or didn't do in his life, yet when Job prayed for them, the Bible says, the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Are you worried God has forgotten you? Just because you are in one crisis or the other? Just trust him. Don't doubt him. Do not be turned by what others may say that you need to do or you know, things that you need to be acting upon. But remember, the trigger for Job was praying for others. He was in trouble. His friends were not in trouble. He was in a mess. His life was in a mess. But the Bible says, the Lord restored everything when he prayed for them, not for himself. That is why I'm saying selfies don't exist for God's people. Don't think of yourself. Don't always look inwards and say, I'm in this mess, I'm in this. There is somebody else who is in a bigger mess. 
if you are in a mess, your neighbor is in a bigger mess. Pray for him. Pray that God will take your neighbor out of that mess. If you have a loan of 5,000 rials and you have problems with that, somebody in your office has got a loan of 50,000 rials. Pray for him. That's the word of God. When you pray for him, God's going to do something with your 5,000. That's going to disappear. That loan is going to disappear. God is going to restore to you everything that you lost, everything that you need, and more. And more. You see, so that's the trigger. And that's why I say selfies don't exist for God's people. We need to stop thinking of ourselves. Selfies all about myself. Stop thinking of yourself. Start thinking of others. Start praying for others. You see, true Christianity is not about me first. True Christianity is simply God first, others next, me last. Would we have turned it around? including in the believers' Pentecostal churches. We have turned it around and made it me first, me second, me third. Neither God nor others exist. Praise God. That's what we say. Turn it around. God first, always. Others next, me last. That's the way it's got to be. You see, our God is more than faithful. If God has promised to lift you up out of the miry clay, wouldn't he do it? Hasn't he done it in our lives time and time again? So why do we doubt God? God is faithful. He shall not not only take away your crisis, He shall pour out his blessings upon you. Now don't turn it around and say that I'm talking about prosperity here. The fact of the matter is, God wants to bless. But there is a part that you and I have to play. Okay, we can't sit back and think that we're going to get a salary every month if we do nothing. your boss is going to come and say, thank you very much, the airport is next door, I'll send the PRO with you, and they're going to give you an exit stamp. The same in God's kingdom. Nothing is going to come, and so don't come here and testify, I did nothing, God blessed me. That is wrong. You have to be obedient to God's word. You have to trust him completely faithfully, implicitly, and you have to do what God wants you to do. Okay, then God's there for you. See, our God is a miracle-working God. Okay, time and time again we have said that one. He has done so much for so many of us with all we talk about, crisis. Brother, I'm in this problem. 
When the problem is over, nobody comes and says, brother's problem is solved. Suddenly you go and ask them, what happened to that problem? Oh, that was solved some time back. Now I have a new problem. Brother, pray, please pray for me. No, 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 I, I'm still praying for the old one. And since I haven't got an answer to that one, I will continue praying only for that. You see, what kind of a... It, it, doesn't, it doesn't gel well with, with the way we, we need to do things. We need to transform our minds. Choir, I'd, I'd need you to come front now. Yeah, Brother Matthews. You see, the, the thing that we need to do is transform our mind. Transform the way we think. We can't keep doing the things that we have always done and think it's going to become all right soon. So the points that I've just brought to you today before we take up the song is simply this. Number one, reach for your solution yourself. Number two, replace your plans with God's plans. Number three, release to receive. Number four, delayed blessings are not denied blessings. Number five, selfies don't exist for God's people. Ephesians chapter four, verse 21 onwards, I shall just read it out. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature. The New King James Version puts it as put off which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. And then put on your new creature. So we need to put off, we need to put on. And in between, we need to let God run our lives. In conclusion, the message I have today is simply this. Allow God to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, number one. Number two, put off your old way of life. Put on your new God-created nature and allow the Holy Spirit to renew your thoughts and your attitudes. In closing, we will take this song don't give up when you're down. So let's all stand as the choir leads us in this song. Don't give up when you're down. Let the wondrous love of Jesus be back on the ground. You can overcome your trials, dangers coming on your mind. Don't give up when you're down. Don't give up when you're down. Let the wondrous love of Jesus get you be back on the ground. You can overcome your trials, dangers coming on your mind. Don't give up when you're down 
but you know this there are tomorrows you can always do right just the same you can take the time of sadness change them into days of gladness if you kneel and pray in jesus name don't give up when you're down let the wondrous love of jesus give your feet back on the ground you can overcome your trials dangers coming on your mind don't give up when you're down when you're alone and weary on later weary discourage you can always find the car if you only pray to the lord of high don't give up when you're down let the wondrous love of jesus get your feet back on the ground you can overcome your trials close our eyes and just look unto God. What is that issue in your life that the enemy is tempting you to give up on? Why don't you go to God and lay that issue before him? Yes, the mountain may be too high for you to cross. The river may be too deep for you to walk through. But you have heard that you are serving the living God who said, don't give up. Why don't you table that issue before him? Say, Lord, I look unto you. I don't have anyone to help me. I know you are the only one that can help me. Lord, arise for my help. Arise for my help. 
arise for my help. Is it over your children, concerning your career, concerning your health? Lord, arise for my help. Arise for my help. You are the present help in the time of trouble. Jesus, arise for my help. Arise for my help. Arise for the help of my children. Arise for the help of my family. You have somebody you are trusting God for for a miracle in their lives. Say, Lord, I look up unto you. Say, they that look up unto you shall not be put to shame. I shall not be put to shame in the name of Jesus. Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 2. Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 2. I want to believe that God has used this meeting today to minister to someone passing through one challenge or the other. It is life left for you. How will you treat that crisis in your life? But look at what God says in Isaiah 43, verse 1 to 2. See, but now thus said the Lord that created thee, O Jacob. That is, you put your name there. And he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. You belong to God, not the devil. Everything concerning you, it is own responsibility. But have you handed it over unto him? And in verse 2, he said, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be born, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. I want to pray, Lord, let your presence be already be with me. In the moment of my crisis, Lord, please don't leave me alone. Are you praying that prayer? Moses said, you are not going to go except your presence go with us. Lord, all I need is your presence. When you are with me, I will take the right decision. I will not be selfish in the midst of the challenges. When you are with me, I will not replace your plan with my plan. When you are with me, I will reach out to the right solution. I will not go for the alternative. When you are with me, I will know whatsoever passing through is not a denier. No, it is just not yet your own perfect time for me. Why do you say, Lord, I need your presence every day of my life. Help me to dwell in your presence. He that dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Say, Lord, help me to dwell in your presence. 
all the days of my life. Help me to wake up in your presence, to go through the challenges of the day in your presence, to sleep at night in your presence, because I know you will never let me down. You will never let me down in the name of Jesus. I say, Lord, I refuse to give up. I refuse to give up. I refuse to give up. No matter the challenge, I refuse to give up. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Now, as we have prayed that prayer, wonderful as it is, if you are here, you are not born again. You are in a crisis. But to get out of that crisis, what you need to do is to give your life to Jesus. If you are still committing sin without check, and you love it, you, you love sin, and you are still committing sin, you have not yet committed your life to Jesus. There's an opportunity this morning. Every eye is closed. You want to give your life to Jesus. I'd like you to raise your right hand up, and I'll be praying with you. You are in a crisis if you are not born again. The Bible says it. You have to be born again for you to be out of that crisis. And the ultimate crisis, of course, is hell. You are not born again. Hell is the ultimate crisis. You are here. You know you are not born again. Are you taking that decision? You want to give your life to Jesus? Raise your right hand so that we can pray with you. And you will be saved. And you'll be on your way to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for today. What an awesome moment in your presence. Thank you for your word that you have spoken to us again today. Thank you because the crisis we are going through, <laughs> you know about them before they started. <laughs> And the Bible says you are the Alpha and the Omega. You knew when that, those crises started. And we know you know when it will end. And we know it will not end our life. Because we know we are on your side. Lord, we give you all the glory. Lord, I pray as we have poured our heart unto you this afternoon. Every one of us passing through crises. Lord, the grace to handle it the way you want us to, so that at the end we will be victorious over those crashes. We receive the grace in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your son that you have used. We pray that, Lord, you will anoint him afresh and refresh him with your spirit that you'll be able to deliver even greater word, even unto us in the future, in the name of Jesus. As we go into this week, we go in your power, we go in your strength, we go in your grace, we go in your favor. In the name of Jesus, we shall come back next week to come and testify of your goodness in all areas of our life. In the name of Jesus, thank you, King of glory. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Let's share the grace of God and fellowship. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, 
and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. As we pray, the Lord will answer us. You are blessed in Jesus' name.